Section 16 of Self-Help This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Self-Help with Illustrations of Conduct and Perseverance by Samuel Smiles Chapter 6 Workers in Art Part 3 Chantry was a more robust man, somewhat rough but hardy in his demeanour, proud of his successful struggle with the difficulties which beset him in early life and above all proud of his independence he was born a poor man's child at norton near sheffield his father dying when he was a mere boy his mother married again young chantry used to drive an ass laden with milk cans across its back into the neighbouring town of sheffield and there serve his mother's customers with milk such was the humble beginning of his industrial career and it was by his own strength that he rose from that position and achieved the highest eminence as an artist not taking kindly to his stepfather the boy was sent to trade and was first placed with a grocer in sheffield the business was very distasteful to him but passing a carver's shop window one day his eye was attracted by the glittering articles it contained and charmed with the idea of being a carver he begged to be released from the grocery business with that object his friends consented and he was bound apprentice to the carver and gilder for seven years his new master besides being a carver in wood was also a dealer in prints and plaster models and chantry at once set about imitating both studying with great industry and energy all his spare hours were devoted to drawing modelling and self-improvement and he often carried his labours far into the night before his apprenticeship was out at the age of twenty-one he paid over to his master the whole wealth which he was able to muster a sum of fifty pounds to cancel his indentures determined to devote himself to the career of an artist he then made the best of his way to london and with characteristic good sense sought employment as an assistant carver studying painting and modelling at his by hours among the jobs on which he was the first employed as a journeyman carver was the decoration of the dining-room of mr rogers the poet a room in which he was in after years a welcome visitor and he usually took pleasure in pointing out his early handiwork to the guests whom he met at his friend's table returning to sheffield on a professional visit he advertised himself in the local papers as a painter of portraits in crayons and miniatures and also in oil for his first grand portrait he was paid a guinea by a cutler and for a portrait in oil a confectioner paid him as much as five pounds and a pair of top boots chantry was soon in london again to study at the royal academy and next time he returned to sheffield he advertised himself as ready to model plaster busts of his townsmen as well as paint portraits of them he was even selected to design a monument to a deceased vicar of the town and executed it to the general satisfaction when in london he used a room over a stable as a studio and there he modelled his first original work for exhibition it was a gigantic head of satan towards the close of chantry's life a friend passing through his studio was struck by this model lying in a corner that head said the sculptor was the first thing that i did after i came to london i worked at it in a garret with a paper cap on my head and as i could then afford only one candle i stuck that one in my cap that it might move along with me and give me light whichever way i turned flaxman saw and admired this head at the academy exhibition and recommended chantry for the execution of the busts of four admirals required for the naval asylum at greenwich this commission led to others and painting was given up 
but for eight years before he had not earned five pounds by his modelling his famous head of horn took was such a success that according to his own account it brought him commissions amounting to twelve thousand pounds chantry had now succeeded but he had worked hard and fairly earned his good fortune he was selected from amongst sixteen competitors to execute the statue of george the third for the city of london a few years later he produced the exquisite monument of the sleeping children now in lichfield cathedral a work of great tenderness and beauty and thenceforward his career was one of increasing honour fame and prosperity his patience industry and steady perseverance were the means by which he achieved his greatness nature endowed him with genius and his sound sense enabled him to employ the precious gift as a blessing he was prudent and shrewd like the men amongst whom he was born the pocket-book which accompanied him on his italian tour containing mingled notes on art records of daily expenses and the current prices of marble his tastes were simple and he made his finest subjects great by the mere force of simplicity his statue of watt in hansworth church seems to us the very consummation of art yet it is perfectly artless and simple his generosity to brother artists in need was splendid but quiet and unostentatious he left the principal part of his fortune to the royal academy for the promotion of british art the same honest and persistent industry was throughout distinctive of the career of david wilkie the son of a scotch minister he gave early indications of an artistic turn and though he was a negligent and inept scholar he was a sedulous drawer of faces and figures a silent boy he already displayed that quiet concentrated energy of character which distinguished him through life he was always on the lookout for an opportunity to draw and the walls of the manse or the smooth sand by the riverside were alike convenient for his purpose any sort of tool would serve him like giotto he found a pencil and a burnt stick a prepared canvas in any smooth stone and the subject for a picture in every ragged mendicant he met when he visited a house he generally left his mark on the walls as an indication of his presence sometimes to the disgust of cleanly housewives in short notwithstanding the aversion of his father the minister to the sinful profession of painting wilkie's strong propensity was not to be thwarted and he became an artist working his way manfully up the steep of difficulty though rejected on his first application as a candidate for admission to the scottish academy at edinburgh on account of the rudeness and inaccuracy of his introductory specimens he persevered in producing better until he was admitted but his progress was slow he applied himself diligently to the drawing of the human figure and held on with the determination to succeed as if with a resolute confidence in the result he displayed none of the eccentric humour and fitful application of many youths who conceive themselves geniuses but kept up the routine of steady application to such an extent that he himself was afterwards accustomed to attribute his success to his dogged perseverance rather than to any higher innate power the single element he said in all the progressive movements of my pencil was persevering industry at edinburgh he gained a few premiums thought of turning his attention to portrait painting with a view to its higher and more certain remuneration but eventually went boldly into the line in which he earned his fame and painted his pitlessy fair 
what was bolder still he determined to proceed to london on account of its presenting so much wider a field for study and work and the poor scotch lad arrived in town and painted his village politicians while living in a humble lodging on eighteen shillings a week notwithstanding the success of this picture and the commissions which followed it wilkie long continued poor the prices which his works realized were not great for he bestowed upon them so much time and labor that his earnings continued comparatively small for many years every picture was carefully studied and elaborated beforehand nothing was struck off at a heat many occupied him for years touching retouching and improving them until they finally passed out of his hands as with reynolds his motto was work 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 and like him he expressed great dislike for talking artists talkers may sow but the silent reap let us be doing something was his oblique mode of rebuking the loquacious and admonishing the idle he once related to his friend constable that when he studied at the scottish academy graham the master of it was accustomed to say to the students in the words of reynolds if you have genius industry will improve it if you have none industry will supply its place so said wilkie i was determined to be very industrious for i knew i had no genius he also told constable that when linnell and burnett his fellow-students in london were talking about art he always contrived to get as close to them as he could to hear all they said for said he they know a great deal and i know very little this was said with perfect sincerity for wilkie was habitually modest one of the first things that he did with the sum of thirty pounds which he obtained from lord mansfield for his village politicians was to buy a present of bonnets shawls and dresses for his mother and sister at home though but little able to afford it at the time wilkie's early poverty had trained him in habits of strict economy which were however consistent with a noble liberality as appears from sundry passages in the autobiography of abraham rainback the engraver william eddy was another notable instance of unflagging industry and indomitable perseverance in art his father was a gingerbread and spice-maker at york and his mother a woman of considerable force and originality of character was the daughter of a rope-maker the boy early displayed a love of drawing covering walls floors and tables with specimens of his skill his first crayon being a farthing's worth of chalk and this giving place to a piece of coal or a bit of charred stick his mother knowing nothing of art put the boy apprentice to a trade that of a printer but in his leisure hours he went on with the practice of drawing and when his time was out he determined to follow his bent he would be a painter and nothing else fortunately his uncle and elder brother were able and willing to help him on in his new career and they provided him with the means of entering his pupil at the royal academy we observe from leslie's autobiography that eddie was looked upon by his fellow-students as a worthy but dull plodding person who would never distinguish himself but he had in him the divine faculty of work and diligently plodded his way upward to eminence in the highest walks of art many artists have had to encounter privations which have tried their courage and endurance to the utmost before they succeeded what number may have sunk under them we can never know martin encountered difficulties in the course of his career such as perhaps fall to the lot of few 
more than once he found himself on the verge of starvation while engaged on his first great picture it is related of him that on one occasion he found himself reduced to his last shilling a bright shilling which he had kept because of its very brightness but at length he found it necessary to exchange it for bread he went to a baker's shop bought a loaf and was taking it away when the baker snatched it from him and tossed back the shilling to the starving painter the bright shilling had failed him in his hour of need it was a bad one returning to his lodgings he rummaged his trunk for some remaining crust to satisfy his hunger upheld throughout by the victorious power of enthusiasm he pursued his design with unsubdued energy he had the courage to work on and to wait and when a few days after he found an opportunity to exhibit his picture he was from that time famous like many other great artists his life proves that in despite of outward circumstances genius aided by industry will be its own protector and that fame though she comes late will never ultimately refuse her favors to real merit the most careful discipline and training after academic methods will fail in making an artist unless he himself take an active part in the work like every highly cultivated man he must be mainly self-educated when pugin who was brought up in his father's office had learnt all that he could learn of architecture according to the usual formulas he still found that he had learned but little and that he must begin at the beginning and pass through the discipline of labour young pugin accordingly hired himself out as a common carpenter at covent garden theatre first working under the stage then behind the flies then upon the stage itself he thus acquired a familiarity with work and cultivated an architectural taste to which the diversity of the mechanical employment about a large operatic establishment is peculiarly favorable when the theatre closed for the season he worked a sailing ship between london and some of the french ports carrying on at the same time a profitable trade at every opportunity he would land and make drawings of any old building and especially of any ecclesiastical structure which fell in his way afterwards he would make special journeys to the continent for the same purpose and returned home laden with drawings thus he plodded and laboured on making sure of the excellence and distinction which he eventually achieved a similar illustration of plodding industry in the same walk is presented in the career of george kemp the architect of the beautiful scott monument at edinburgh he was the son of a poor shepherd who pursued his calling on the southern slope of the pentland hills amidst that pastoral solitude the boy had no opportunity of enjoying the contemplation of works of art it happened however that in his tenth year he was sent on a message to roslyn by the farmer for whom his father herded sheep and the sight of the beautiful castle and chapel there seems to have made a vivid and enduring impression on his mind probably to enable him to indulge his love of architectural construction the boy besought his father to let him be a joiner and he was accordingly put apprentice to a neighbouring village carpenter having served his time he went to galashiels to seek work as he was plodding along the valley of the tweed with his tools upon his back a carriage overtook him near Elibank tower and the coachman doubtless at the suggestion of his master who was seated inside having asked the youth how far he had to walk and learning that he was on his way to galashiels invited him to mount the box beside him and thus to ride thither 
it turned out that the kindly gentleman inside was no other than sir walter scott then travelling on his official duty as sheriff of selkirkshire whilst working at galashiels kemp had frequent opportunities of visiting melrose dryburgh and jedburgh abbeys which he studied carefully inspired by his love of architecture he worked his way as a carpenter over the greater part of the north of england never omitting an opportunity of inspecting and making sketches of any fine gothic building on one occasion when working in lancashire he walked fifty miles to york spent a week in carefully examining the minster and returned in like manner on foot we next find him in glasgow where he remained four years studying the fine cathedral there during his spare time he returned to england again this time working his way further south studying canterbury winchester tintern and other well-known structures in eighteen twenty four he formed the design of travelling over europe with the same object supporting himself by his trade reaching boulogne he proceeded by abbeville and beauvais to paris spending a few weeks making drawings and studies at each place his skill as a mechanic and especially his knowledge of millwork readily secured him employment wherever he went and he usually chose the site of his employment in the neighbourhood of some fine old gothic structure in studying which he occupied his leisure after a year's working travel and study abroad he returned to scotland he continued his studies and became proficient in drawing and perspective melrose was his favourite ruin and he produced several elaborate drawings of the building one of which exhibiting it in a restored state was afterwards engraved he also obtained employment as a modeller of architectural designs and made drawings for work begun by an edinburgh engraver after the plan of breton's cathedral antiquities this was a task congenial to his tastes and he laboured at it with an enthusiasm which ensured its rapid advance walking on foot for the purpose over half scotland and living as an ordinary mechanic whilst executing drawings which would have done credit to the best masters in the art the projector of the work having died suddenly the publication was however stopped and kemp sought other employment few knew of the genius of this man for he was exceedingly taciturn and habitually modest when the committee of the scott monument offered a prize for the best design the competitors were numerous including some of the greatest names in classical architecture but the design unanimously selected was that of george kemp who was working at kilwinning abbey in ayrshire many miles off when the letter reached him intimating the decision of the committee poor kemp shortly after this event he met an untimely death and did not live to see the first result of his indefatigable industry and self-culture embodied in stone one of the most beautiful and appropriate memorials ever erected to literary genius john gibson was another artist full of a genuine enthusiasm and love for his art which placed him high above those sordid temptations which urge meaner natures to make time the measure of profit he was born at griffin near conway in north wales the son of a gardener he early showed indications of his talent by the carvings in wood which he made by means of a common pocket-knife and his father noting the direction of his talent sent him to liverpool and bound him apprentice to a cabinet-maker and wood-carver 
he rapidly improved at his trade and some of his carvings were much admired he was thus naturally led to sculpture and when eighteen years old he modelled a small figure of time in wax which attracted considerable notice the messieurs francis sculptors of liverpool having purchased the boy's indentures took him as their apprentice for six years during which his genius displayed itself in many original works from thence he proceeded to london and afterwards to rome and his fame became european robert thorburn the royal academician like john gibson was born of poor parents his father was a shoemaker at dumfries besides robert there were two other sons one of whom is a skilful carver in wood one day a lady called at the shoemaker's and found robert then a mere boy engaged in drawing upon a stool which served him for a table she examined his work and observing his abilities interested herself in obtaining for him some employment in drawing and enlisted in his behalf the services of others who could assist him in prosecuting the study of art the boy was diligent painstaking staid and silent mixing little with his companions and forming but few intimacies about the year eighteen thirty some gentlemen of the town provided him with the means of proceeding to edinburgh where he was admitted a student at the scottish academy there he had the advantage of studying under competent masters and the progress which he made was rapid from edinburgh he removed to london where we understand he had the advantage of being introduced to notice under the patronage of the duke of buccleuch we need scarcely say however that of whatever use patronage may have been to thorburn in giving him an introduction to the best circles patronage of no kind could have made him the great artist that he unquestionably is without native genius and diligent application noel peyton the well-known painter began his artistic career at dunfermline and paisley as a drawer of patterns for tablecloths and muslin embroidered by hand meanwhile working diligently at higher subjects including the drawing of the human figure he was like turner ready to turn his hand to any kind of work and in eighteen forty when a mere youth we find him engaged among his other labours in illustrating the renfrewshire annual he worked his way step by step slowly yet surely but he remained unknown until the exhibition of the prize cartoons painted for the houses of parliament when his picture of the spirit of religion for which he obtained one of the first prizes revealed him to the world as a genuine artist and the works which he has since exhibited such as the reconciliation of oberon and titania home and the bloody tryst have shown a steady advance in artistic power and culture End of section sixteen.